Do you wish there was someone you could talk to openly about money? Someone who could talk to you like a Jewish woman, understanding what your values are and your desire to build a rich life without you needing to apologize or compromise? Someone who could be upfront with you about the Jewish way to build wealth? Then I've got a surprise for you. It's the I'm Ready five-day retreat with me, Yael Trush. During your five days together with me, you will discover the Jewish money secrets that will make you richer. Yes, you heard that right. I've been looking forward to hosting this retreat in English for a very long time, and it's finally here for all of you. It's going to be so deep and so much fun. Head over to yaeltrush.com forward slash retreat to register for an epic five-day experience. I'm ready. Are you ready? Are you really ready to discover the Jewish money secrets that will make you richer? Then head over to yaeltrush.com forward slash retreat to register. Jewish Money Matters episode 220, listener stories with podcast listeners Robin Meyerson and Solomon Berizin. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters, the podcast where Jewish wisdom and spirituality meet your money and your business. Money is a means to serve God in this world with joy, to build a life that leaves an imprint way beyond our time in this world. I want you to discover the secrets to Jewish wealth, to gain practical and spiritual tools to break free from the shackles of financial worry, to design the joyful, rich life that your soul desires. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, and I'm so glad you're here. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome to the show, kicking off the new year with a different kind of episode today. If you remember back in November, I celebrated my birthday and we had a contest around here. I said two of you would be randomly selected to come share your story on the show. And so today's guests slash listeners of the show, Robin Meyerson and Solomon Berizin, are quite different in their upbringing, their financial journey and stages in life. And yet, I think you'll be able to learn something from each of them. Each of them has a fascinating journey and story and nuggets of wisdom to share. This was my gift to them for participating in my birthday contest and leaving a review at that time. But this is, you know, it really got me thinking that I want, I mean, I've been thinking about this for a long time, but I think this really kind of brought it uh, to the fore again, that I want to bring more stories from listeners. I, I want to bring more stories from the audience, specifically stories of financial triumph into this show. Um, so if you have a story that you think reflects a financial triumph, a lesson and lessons that need to be told for us to learn and apply in our lives, then please send me an email right now with a subject line, story of financial triumph. You, I don't know, you overcame bankruptcy, you got out of massive amounts of debt, you grew a business against all odds. You became financially independent. You overcame an abusive relationship that had you tied financially. You achieved your dream of becoming a philanthropist on a larger scale than you ever thought possible, etc., etc., etc. Whatever you think your story of financial triumph is and your angle is, let me hear it. Um, in that email, I will say though, I'm quite particular because I do get a ridiculous amount of emails and pitches a week. So I want to make sure that I get to you and I give it the proper attention. So here's what I'm asking. I want you to drop five bullet points or less telling me what is the triumph and what are the lessons. I promise you I'm really good at knowing where there's an ed editorial angle. If you think about your story and my audience and craft the pitch carefully thinking about how to help the audience best, you probably have a really good chance. So hit me up, send me that email, no long paragraphs, please. I want to make sure that I get to all of you just the subject line story of financial triumph and no more than five bullet points with the triumph and the lessons. And I really, really look forward to hearing from you. Um, I think this could be a really, really nice series. Again, it's a it's a great way to connect with the audience. It's a great way to highlight lessons um, from people that all of us could probably relate to a lot. Um, you've probably been on a similar journey and um, you know, your story of triumph could really inspire us to keep going on that journey to know that there is a light at the end of whatever challenge it is that we're struggling with. And, and just to see how you dealt with with the, the successes, with the failures and, and all the lessons, I think it could be a phenomenal. So please do share. Uh, and also, I want to say I'm really, really looking forward to the upcoming retreat. Did you sign up already? If you haven't, head over to yaeltrush.com forward slash retreat. You are going to love this event. We're going to have breakthroughs. We're going to have prices. We're going to have fun. I mean, 
Who said up-leveling in your money mindset and habits has to be boring? Come on. Come join us at yaeltrush.com forward slash retreat. We start on Monday, January 10th, 11 a.m. Central Standard Time, 12 p.m. Eastern. And now, without further ado, here's Solomon Beresin and Robin Meyerson. How are you? I'm doing great, thank God. And uh, it's a pleasure to to be here on your show now. And uh, thanks again for coming on mine a couple months ago. And it's just wonderful. I, I look up to individuals like yourself, and it's been inspiring on my own journey in, in health and finances, overall health and uh, in Yiddishkeit. Thank you. Well, I think this is inspiring for the listeners because, you know, sometimes we bring on the show people who are like, you know, authors and they're running these like big programs and they're running these big companies, right? And I like this to be a mix where we can also relate to people who are like us building the business or paying down the debt or saving for our goals, right? I think these are important conversations to bring some balance into the narrative. And I know you are starting to grow your own business. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about what that is about and kind of like the journey. I think you even told me that you studied business in college, but I know you have a background in athletics, perhaps. So tell us what's been the journey here? Yes. Hmm. I think uh, just to keep it a little bit on a shorter end, because uh, I, I like to get into details and especially on my own show, asking, you know, for the, the nuanced to uh, parts of people's journeys. But um, so I played college basketball and basketball was my passion growing up. Like I was practicing four to six, sometimes longer hours a day because I just knew that's what I wanted to do. Mm. And, uh, you know, in high school, when I was determining what I wanted to go study, it's hard to really say thinking back now how I thought, but I just determined, okay, business, because, you know, whatever. But I I mean, I liked the business, but really, I I just wanted to continue playing, Mm. whether it was and I had the aspirations to go play either in the NBA or in Israel, which I actually had the opportunities to do and go help there in Israel uh, summers. But that's another story. But towards throughout college, I had couple injuries, like my second year and then the final year. And that would, for me, because I was always working really hard, practicing all the time, it was a great pause for me, a forceful pause. And that's how I kind of got into more mindfulness and meditation techniques and just how to slow down and actually work on the mental part of the game. Mm. Because I was just always, you know, dribbling the basketball, shooting the basketball. My skills were very well refined. But when it came to playing, I didn't always perform at my best, perhaps performance, anxiety and things of that sorts. And the coaches would say things to the effect of you have all the skill and physical thing is there, but the mindset is missing. Mm. And then I, that was it. And I felt like I was left under the bus. And and forced to kind of learn that on my own over over the years. In addition with, uh, thank God, a, a very well-connected family friend who is a, a psychologist who helped me with different uh, techniques and, and skills and building that uh, awareness and uh, improving the mindset, the confidence. But after I graduated, I went to, after I, came, I was in Israel over a summer and just had a change of heart as far as playing basketball at the university that I was at. I was also recovering from a uh, concussion at the time. And when I returned home, I, I, I remembered kind of vividly because I had a, I was already signed up to do a four plus one, an MBA program at the university I was at because I also had an additional year to play. And because it was an MBA program, all my classes were online. So and basketball season didn't start till around October. And my parents were out of town and they asked me to take care of the the pets and the house while they were gone. So I had this this time to come home. And while the classes were just starting, basketball wasn't getting going. And there was just this so much stress and unfamiliar stress that I'd experienced. Nothing like, you know, stress before a test. Hmm. And when I came home, I began to practice, like I I was journaling at the time a lot more, but I began to really become aware of, you know, how was I thinking? How was I feeling and acting on a daily basis? What, what, where was this unfamiliar stress possibly coming from? And because I just to try and keep it short, I, I took a 
contemplated a lot about basketball because I was starting to have a change of heart about playing it. What was it that left me so passionate about it? Mm. And this is how I transitioned to the health coaching route, the holistic health coaching. But essentially, the, the thing that stuck out to me the most about the game was that zone that I would get into or, mm. the, you know, that I call the athlete zone or I like to call it the flow state. It's just you're so present in the moment, it's almost like in those experiences when I played, the basket would look like a hula hoop. I couldn't miss a shot. Even if I turned the ball over, I would be so in the, the game that it didn't affect me. It almost led to something I couldn't have imagined, like a better play on defense or whatever the case may be. And I had this kind of a hot epiphany, like, I think we can live life in that state. Mm. And when I was, you know, and then I considered everything around that. How did I get into that state? You know, outside of the court as well, I would be eating well. What the stuff that I'd like to learn about the finances, uh, not finances, fitness, uh, health, nutrition, these different mindsets, just tools and, and approaches. And it clicked because then I was like, yeah, when I'm, when I was, you know, feeling well physically, mentally, and spiritually, and uh, spiritually, it all was interconnected. I wasn't just performing well on the court, but also in relationships, in classroom. It was almost like the, the problems or the challenges were there, but I was at such a clear state that it wasn't like strenuous when I tried to solve them, whether it was yeah. a, a text a test or whatever the case may be. So just to kind of conclude through Hashkaha Pratis, it led to well, me first making the real firm decision to get out of the master's program and get out of playing basketball wow. and, and f- go on the, the knowledge like, okay, I don't know how these are going to piece together, but I love how all this is interconnected, this holistic approach to health. And it led to a wonderful uh, certification that I earned that taught the science, the psychology and the spirituality of nutrition, more lo- loosely defined as what feeds you or feeds us physically, mentally and spiritually. Mm. And since then, I just continued with, you know, helping individuals here and there slowly building the business because it also pairs well with one's own personal growth. And so that's just a little bit how I really got transitioned from the basketball and the business into this holistic, more so transformational approach to helping individuals, including uh, on a younger level, the the TDS basketball boys and and even the uh, gym classes, which your your son is part of. Yeah. And I've seen that you do bring these these modalities that you've learned into the the coaching that you do with the boys. I know that you teach them to meditate and do certain things before a game, which I think it's so amazing. And I think what you were speaking to was like, well, everybody was telling me I needed the mindset, but nobody was giving me the tools. Yeah. Um, right. And I just think that's that must have been such a brave move to drop the master's program and decide to make a pretty radical and unconventional pivot because to yeah. your peers, to your family, to everybody around you, you were going to become an NBA player. Like that's what you've been honed to do. And here you are one day saying, I'm actually not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> how is that? How did, how did, how did you d- dance that dance with the, you know, perhaps the perceptions of people around you and your inner conviction? It definitely took some, a lot of slack. And, and even today you receive different waves from that first decision because it, mm-hmm. because it, you know, affects a lot of people's expectations in a sense. Right. And when I first, actually, I was sitting down where I'm pretty close to where I am now. And I just had this uh, sense, like I was mentioning, and I, I was like hovering my mouse above the like, the, what's the word drop classes, because I had gotten out of basketball at the time, like realized I don't want to play at the university anymore. And when I was considering now, why am I still in the why was I, you know, when you when things get tough, you go back to the beginning, why did I get in this in the first place? And the only reason I was really doing the master's program was because I had an additional year to play. And now mm-hmm. that I wasn't doing that, it didn't justify doing it. And but when I was about to make that decision and get out of the classes, I even had that kind of tense moment. And I called my my parents and I was like, this is what I'm about to do. And of course, that created a lot of, you know, I like to say revving up over the engine, mm-hmm. some tension. But then I realized also in that moment, what am I doing? This is it's not their decision. That was, so it ultimately turned into I don't want to say hard to swallow, but for lack of better words, that realization that, wow, 
this is my first real conscious decision for myself. Right. So normally, if I had to decide something or look up something, I was one to ask, you know, what are my parents? Or I would ask all these growing up, I would ask these perspectives, or I would ask questions and get perspectives about from different people. But I, I hadn't learned how to like run it by my own heart mm-hmm. and, and ask myself. Yeah. And so that was the real kind of defining moment with that. And then from there, building that, uh, which of course isn't uh, easy. It's a little bit of a roller coaster. You know, some days you're like, yeah, that's the decision I made. And other days are like, oh my gosh, what did I do? Right. Yes. And and like you alluded to before, you know, then you start building a business and it's personal growth on steroids, as I like yeah. to call it, right? It's like all the inner demons come out. Yes. <laughs> so tell us about the kind of, of students or coaches that come to you. What 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 is it that they're struggling with and what is it that the what is the help that they're getting yeah so over the the few years that i've been uh, practicing at first i was just helping kind of anybody i that would come to me because i wanted to notice a pattern who can i help because uh, in in the coaching uh, practice you have to we have to learn to get you know specific on the type of individuals but when i was just starting i wasn't exactly sure but i knew i loved he- he- uh, helping athletes on that mental mm-hmm. side because that's part of the struggle that i learned which you know also kind of shows you that those things that we struggled with lead to what we can transform or you know those are the sparks where we could be here to elevate Mm-hmm. And Tanya lies the Tanya, uh, Rabbi Schneer's almond of Liadi writes about, but also, so like the one, the audience is the athletes on the mental performance. So how to respond to different situations in game and get into that zone. But then also everyday individuals, or I like to say everyday athletes like you and I, who may have different limited um, be- uh, beliefs mm-hmm. about how to arrive into a greater state of being, as well as overcoming different sab- self-sabotaging habits. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I used to have a nail-biting addiction growing up. And so I've learned through meditation, nutrition, fitness, just different ways, different tools that help build that awareness and greater state. So we can become aware of the different ways or different thoughts that lead to that behavior. That's, Mm -hmm. you know, limit, like, like the word limiting, limiting somebody from, you know, living in a greater expression of health, uh, living creatively, doing the things that they want to do, and and stop distracting themselves unconsciously. Amazing. And and talk about limiting beliefs and helping people with limiting beliefs. You know, you and I know that um, we we sometimes carry a lot of limiting beliefs around money, uh, and we tend to tie money to our self, our net worth to our self worth. I mean, we have we we come <laughs> everybody with their different nuances and colors, right? Comes with a lot of stuff. I'm curious um, if you would share with listeners is perhaps some of the the mindset or behavioral things even that you change that you learned growing up, you know, as you know, we grow up and we absorb kind of what's happening mm-hmm. in our environment, and we form certain beliefs, right? But there's ex- these experiences yeah. that maybe you recall that shaped you in any way, and it couldn't doesn't have to be a limiting belief, it could be something that really has served you. But are there any experiences that stand out growing up with regards to money or business that you think shaped those belief systems and those behaviors today? Mm-hmm. Good question. I don't re- perhaps recall specific experiences. Uh, maybe some people may have that memory of, you know, maybe somebody yelling at them as or hearing, seeing an uh, argument that, you know, money doesn't grow on trees and, mm-hmm. and things to that uh, effect. But I do recall, you know, adopting at some point some kind of belief that, you know, you have to work really hard mm. to, to earn money. And one of the first times I became aware that That was an actual belief. Like just a side note, one thing that's amazing is we have these different memories, but we don't realize that we always some, we always at the subconscious age create a belief from them. Right. That, that leads on to continuous, uh, let's say play. Like if we look at it as like program in our life. And one of the times I did this course called um, Rapid Transformational Hypnotherapy for Abundance. And it actually discussed one of the areas was on finances. How do we reshift and rewrite uh, the story of around money from uh, lack and forget the other word, but from uh, lack to more of an abundance? How does an abundant person think about money? And if I have this belief that, you know, I have to re- work really hard for money, then when money comes by relatively effortlessly, I'm going to push it away because, you know, I'm, or I'm not even going to see it if I'm not aware of it. 
Right. So those are, that's like one example of just a, a belief that I came aware of that, you know, also part of the transformation when somebody becomes a, aware of something, that's the first step, but it also takes some inner work and I don't want to say time, but because it's different for each person, but to really take that intellectual knowledge. Okay. I know this is a more effective belief, but then to really embody it, mm-hmm. to go from that uh, just intellectual knowledge to um, experiential and to where it's becomes part of you. Yeah. And I could see how maybe this even played into your career path as an athlete, right? To become an NBA player and to really be financially successful being an athlete, you have Mm -hmm. to kill yourself in the court and you have to get injured and you have to train God knows how many hours a week, right? Like the path has to be really, really hard. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. It was was playing and uh, materializing per se in different areas of life like that in sports or school work. Mm. You know, I have to stay up really studying super hard. Right. And so was that just that program of, you know, working hard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So tell us about your newfound relationship with money. I know you're getting super organized and you're really applying all the mindfulness skills that you've learned and that you're using with your students and in your personal life also to to your money. What are some of the new things that you're doing, the new habits and new goals that you've set out for yourself? Talk to us a little bit about that. Definitely beginning to read <laughs> read more about it nice. and uh and and take it slow i i i think it's it is one area that because of part of uh, the growth just journey focusing on different areas of life whether it's just establishing a, a strong foundation as far as health and mindset and how to approach different things that uh, relatively recently I, I was at the point where I felt comfortable returning and learning about finances and money so I do think I'm uh, relatively early on and like you said earlier with with a connection with business it's um you know, a lot of it is pairs with the personal growth, yeah. um, but definitely tracking, you know, where I'm spending money, beginning to establish systems per se of mm-hmm. uh, having a system in place. So when the money comes in, you know, you know exactly where everything just goes and then you're left with however much to spend freely. Yeah. And isn't that so empowering, <laughs> right? You're yes. nodding, but people can't hear you. <laughs> I see you yeah. nodding. <laughs> but uh, also, also one thing I realize when it comes to money, as well as different areas, and I think I this lesson kind of came to me when Yitzhak redigging the wells. The the wells represented because they were covered up. They were covering up the inner waters, and the covering up was like physicality. And sometimes we have we we think that it's the more money that we need, and all this kind of. Yeah, more money. How do I even use the money? All this kind of approaches. But really, when I focus on my character trait Mm. of uh, building, you know, in my case, independence, learning to listen to myself more and exactly I'd become more fine, not just financial independent, but independent, make decisions on uh, on my own and and realize this is my life. I'm a creator of my life that then that money manifests and then the approaches to how to handle it in a mature and empowering way. Right almost happens as a byproduct. Mm-hmm. So instead of when I'm when I'm focusing in meditation or just contemplating, how do I earn more money? A great shift that I had is, well, how do I just f- focus on building this independence and confidence mm-hmm. uh, in myself? So hopefully that also uh, can and help uh, listeners that may think that money is their issue, quote unquote, but really, I like to say the problem is not the problem and there's mm-hmm. something deeper there. I love that. I love that approach. Solomon, tell us where we can find you. Tell us the name of the podcast. Tell yeah. if anybody wants to be in touch with you. You can find me on the social media platforms at, uh, at King underscore Solomon eight on uh, Instagram on uh, Facebook. It's my name, Solomon Berezin. Also my, my podcast name is Ebb and Flow, which is, uh, my loose English translation of Ratso Vishuv. Mm. Um, so like that rhythmical pattern of life. And, uh, I've been on a little bit of a hiatus from it since uh, I think you were the second to last episode just before the summer. And lastly, you can also go to my website, SolomonEzra.com. Solomon has all O's in it. And then you that has a lot of links to other places. And then lastly, I would I would recommend 
recommend I have a weekly newsletter that comes on Fridays nice. um, called Ebb and Flow Fridays. And that's where I like to recap the week and share different insights. And uh, that's also available, uh, like a link to it on my website. Well, this has been great, Salman. Super helpful. Much continued success with your coaching. Get back on that podcasting mic because that's always nice <laughs> and fun. And keep us posted. It sounds like you're doing amazing things. This really gave us a lot to think about. Thank you so much. Of course, thank you so much again for having me on and it's a real treat and pleasure. Hey there, are you ready for a rich life? Join me January 10th through 14th in the I'm Ready Retreat, five free days to discover the Jewish money secrets that will make you richer with me, Yael Trash. Head over to yaeltrush.com forward slash retreat to register. I'm ready. Are you? Head over to yaeltrush.com forward slash retreat to register for the I'm Ready five day retreat. Meyerson, it's so good to have you on the show. This is so fun for me. I get to interact with a listener. You get to bring your wisdom to uh, the rest of our listeners. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. It's a delight to be here. It is so fun. You know, it was so fun for us to get a chance to hear from our listeners about their own work, their own financial journey, hear the wisdom. Very often on the show, we have people who maybe, you know, they've seen and their 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 books on New York Times bestselling list and things like that. And I like to balance the conversation um, and also have people that maybe our audience can relate a little bit more with. And I know you not only come with your own financial wisdom that you've acquired on your personal life, but you also come to us as a life coach, a very seasoned life coach. And we shared um, offline how you've seen money play a big part of the conversations and the, the that you have with your own coachee. So why don't we start off with that journey as a life coach? What brought you to that field and to building your own um, business as a coach? So I really feel that, you know, that life is short, right? So you yeah. have to figure out what your purpose is and you have to figure out what you love to do. And I really feel that the money will f- will follow you if you're doing what you love to do. So I made a set of goals and here I am today and I make a timeline and I, and I, all the things that I implement in my own life, I teach other people how to do. Wow. And so what kind of people come to you for help? Are we looking at business women? Are we looking at married women? Or is it couples? What's, what's your typical person that comes to you for help? So there's three different types of people that I help. So the first is people who are, are religious. They're women. Um, they're also men that I coach and they're looking for advice on how to be happier. Mm. Um, I partner with, I have an, an organization called the Jewish Wellness Research Institute. Wow. And I partner with also with Rabbi Niven and I partner to um, coach those ladies. But then I also have another group of people that I coach. I coach women who want to just learn how to be happier, but they're not religious in the Jewish world. And so I guide them. I do a lot of outreach and a lot of care of trips to Israel. So I build these relationships with the women for a long, long time, many, many years. And I'm guiding them and coaching them in many different areas, marriage, parenting, you know, self-care, health, exercise, and money always plays a factor in this because if you don't have enough, if if it's an emergency, you got to, you got to figure it all out. Mm. It's so, so interesting and so beautiful to see you, you know, talk about, and it, it sounds to me like you're also bringing the, the Jewish wisdom into these conversations that you're having. You mentioned Rabbi Niven, colleague of ours, has been on the show, as you well know. I, I want to hone in um, on something you said where you identify that, you know, life is short and we have a mission. And I really believe that if I'm just working towards that mission, that really unique personal mission, the money's going to follow something that we've talked about this on the show several times, but it's often not what we are taught or we absorb from the general culture. So I'm wondering if you could give us some insight into how did that 
click for you? And was there ever, you know, moments of tension where you felt like this is crazy? What am I doing? I'm not going to be making that like, like, go walk us through that process. Because I think a lot of people you've probably seen it in your work struggle with that juncture of do I go with my passion? Or do I stay more practical? How do I really do this? Well, I got a lot of really good advice. I was very fortunate at a young age. So, and I grew up in a family where we made goals. That was something that my mom and my dad were really good at teaching me. And we made goals and we wrote them down. So, I mean, I started this like as a kid, which I love. (laughs) That is impressive. Oh my goodness. Okay. So then from there, I, I applied to different universities as, you know, a lot of kids do, right? In their uh-huh. teenage years. And I got accepted at a, um, some very prestigious, high-priced colleges. And I was all excited. But then I got a full-ride scholarship to the local university where I live in. And my father said, hmm, why don't you consider going there, nudge, nudge, and you won't have any debt after grad, after uh, undergrad. So I'm like, no, I don't want to do it. I was so excited about all these other schools. But I listened to him. And you know what? I had no debt after undergrad and I met my husband at that local university. So I followed my parents' wisdom and I started off on a good, on a good foot, you know, after, and then I went to get my master's degree in business Mm -hmm. and I worked in the corporate world. So I was able to save money, learn things from the corporate world and apply it to my own life. Mm. And along the way I had mentors. And I read a lot of good books, you know, (laughs) so I read this one book called the Tightwad Gazette. Mm -hmm. This woman had like seven or eight kids and she was able to live off like $40,000 a year. And I thought, wow, let me figure out how to to save money and be frugal. So I started doing that when I was in my early 20s. Mm. Wow, there's so much to unpack here. I mean, starting from the fact that your parents encourage you to make goals as a child what kind of goals were they you know like what kind of do you remember any of these goals that you were presenting as a preteen or a teenager well it's cute because now I, I I do this with my kids and they they write down goals and they put them they tape them up to the back of their door so many things many things like oh really? I want to get an A in this class or oh I want to get this part in this play or you know I want to do um, a summer job so these kind of goals that, as, that are applicable as a teenager, you know, and then you learn this practice of making goals, even on the money side, like I had summer jobs and I'm like, you know, I want to make $500 so that I could redecorate my bedroom. You know, these were things that I did as a kid. So mm-hmm. then as I grew up, I'm like, oh, I want to save X amount of thousands of dollars so I can go on this vacation, you know, <laughs> so same principles. So- so awesome. Now you did mention you go into the corporate world and that was going great because it gave you, you know, experience and you were definitely making money. You were obviously very money conscious and conscientious with your money. So you were saving and all the things, but then you transition into coaching. So at what point did, did you feel like the corporate world was not really in an alignment with your mission? And there was more to you than just staying in a nine to five. Well, I was going on my own journey and my own religious observance journey, becoming a Baltuva. And so I realized I wanted to give back to the Jewish world. Mm -hmm. So what I had gained. So I was working, you know, eight to eight to six, many, many hours in the corporate world. And I thought, let me use the gifts that God gave me. Um, in the marketing and the strategic planning and do that for the Jewish world instead. So I, I had saved money properly and I was very frugal and Baruch Hashem, I had a husband who was making a good job. And so I decided to leave the corporate world after about 15 years, 20 years of experience there and focus on building my own practice um, and consulting for the Jewish people. So, cause I could see that they, the Jewish world needed help in the nonprofit world in in the people themselves. So I wanted to give them this, the benefit of what I had learned. Mm, so you started more as a coaching in terms of business practices. Is that what yeah, I, mean? I started on the business side? I, I started helping people from a business perspective, you know, make a business plan. What, it, what are your strengths, your weaknesses, your, the opportunities and threats. So I helped on the business side with the, 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 the local schools, the local um, synagogues, the Jewish Federation, I was helping them raise more money uh, for scholarships for Jewish day school. So all those things, I was helping the organizations, the nonprofits, but also even just their, 
they're setting up their boards. So mm-hmm. I was helping on that side. And now I focus more on, on the people side. Right, right. So I'm hearing two really wonderful things that I want um, people to, to also hear. First of all, there seems to have been an implication that there's, it's good to have a, some sort of a financial runway when we're venturing out into a business, doing something, you know, not to say that sometimes we don't have to make a big leap of faith. It's always a leap of faith, but it sounds like you, you had a certain financial runway that allowed you to take an opportunity, right? To say, you know what? I can, I can leave this job and, and start monetizing something different. And that takes time until we get comfortable with what, how much we're charging and we get, you know, we increase our prices to a certain level. So that definitely takes time. So I hear that from you. I also hear something very interesting that I want um, listeners to to capture, which is that there's always this iteration, this pivot as we're honing into what what is the best space where I'm going to be of service, right? You know, we start with an intuition that yes, we come from the corporate world. We have business experience The Jewish, there's a need in the Jewish world. Let me help them here. Um, but it's okay. If, it's not, it's more than okay. Um, it's only natural that during that process, we're also going to learn that there's even something that lights you up more or where you're more needed. But we have to be in that field of, Hani Wolchansky recently called it the field of play. We have to be iterating. We have to be playing. We have to be act- actively engaged to get that feedback from God Almighty, but through the world, right? From the world. I do that by listening very carefully to like the little miracles that are happening in my life mm. and the, you know, coincidences, which we don't believe in, but miracles. Right. And so I wrote several books about the miracles that were happening in my life. Beautiful. And from that, writing a book about that catapulted me into doing international speaking. And then with the coaching that helped me, I'm writing a new book now called um, Mito's Miracles, people who have improved themselves by working on themselves through coaching or just on their own by reading books. And by by me reinventing and telling their stories, I'm reinventing myself. So it's it's an ongoing journey. And I really am a firm believer, if you love what you do, the money's going to follow. And, and it does, it does. Also, if you have simcha, you know, like if you're yeah. happy, then you're, you're a vessel to let, you know, the money come in. And if you're, if you're frugal too, if you're careful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think, I think that careful maybe is a w- better w- word, or maybe even I would say, and tell me if you agree with this responsible, meaning like we realize it's a, it's a, it's a gift from God almighty for us to give positive attention and, and treat it responsibly. Right. So, you know, but some of us learn that sense of responsibility and kind of like accountability with our money later on in life. And it sounds like you learn it really early on. So let's talk a little bit about your upbringing because you seem to have been responsible from the get-go. Um, tell us about some of the ways or the things you learned at home about money, maybe some some experiences that stand out as having shaped you um, in terms of the way you are with, with your money. So I had my first job, job, like real job at, at 17. Mm-hmm. And besides the things that my parents taught me at home, but at 17, I, I took a job at an ice cream store. <laughs> and I learned from that what it meant to, you know, run a business a little bit. Mm. And from that, I learned to make spreadsheets. Mm. And I, I made spreadsheets then not only of like my goals, but then of how much you know, money was coming in, how much money was going out in the, in, in the store. And then I applied it to my own life. And I really feel that it's not something to be afraid of, you know, like a lot of women think, oh, well, I, I know how to make a cake and a good cholent and decorate the house. But, you know, making a spreadsheet and looking at the money matters is just as it's very important. And so at, early on in my, you know, in my late teens, I started making spreadsheets and it was exciting to see how how the numbers worked. And I wasn't scared that the key thing is not being scared. And then yeah. to read a lot of books along the way, take some classes, educate yourself. Don't be ignorant. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, be an active agent, right? Mm-hmm. That's part of the responsibility. God has a resource for us available, just like God gave, gave us a, a body and we have to be responsible to take care of it and put the right food and the right nutrients and the right amount of sleep, right? So it's the same thing in a way with this resource. It sounds, talk to me about your parents when they were seeing this teenage 
daughter have her job and also, you know, build these spreadsheets? Was this something that would, how is that perceived? Was this like natural or was like, what was they were like, what, what was that like? I think we have to look at each of our kids now as a parent of five children and three grandchildren. I have, you have to look at your children and say, okay, where are their strengths and kind of, you know, guide them and yeah. then where, where their weaknesses are kind of guide them as well. So my parents just kind of, you know, they saw that I like to do certain things and they, they let me run with it. Um, so, and I, I like to try to do the same thing with my children. So I, I raise them to be, you know, independent you know, make, make their own goals too, but also guide them along the way, suggest certain classes, suggest things outside of school for them too. Mm -hmm. You mentioned your husband and the fact that thankfully he also brought in, you know, money. So that, you know, there wasn't that maybe that pressure that you needed to work. Tell us a little bit about how the marriage dynamic in terms of how you communicate and manage your money together works. I'm sure you also see in your in your clients and your coaches that there's a, you know, sometimes there's tension and there's just not, not a flow of communication or goals being in alignment or understanding or empathy. How does it work in your marriage? How have you been able to build, integrate money into the relationship? Let's say. Well, I'm very fortunate that we have open communication. I think it's something that women, especially because women live longer, usually yes, than do. men. So in a marriage, it's so important to know what's going on and not be in the dark. And I, I consult with my clients. I coach them, find out what, what it is. Like, what's the interest rate of your house? What do you have life insurance? Do you have a 401k? Do you have social security? What's your social security payout going to be? If are you going to even have a pension? You know, like I, I, with my husband, like the first seven years, he managed the money because the kids were like babies, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> he did the first seven years. And then, um, then I switched over and I took, a, we've been married 31 years. Mm-hmm. Actually today is our anniversary. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So he did the first seven years of the spreadsheets and managing and I, you know, I was busy with the little kids. And then, then I did actually the next 20 years. I managed it because he was like really focusing so much on a lot of his career and didn't have the time. And so I learned it and I was managing it. And then we switched over recently, actually, just in the last maybe two, three, I guess, whatever that adds up to. He's been doing it for the last two years. So we're very open about it. And he does have slightly different goals than I do, though. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't mean that we're exactly on the same page. I I mean, um, I like to travel. <laughs> I like to splurge on travel. He likes to just stay at home. And so, you know, we have different goals there, but we, we let each other, he buys his stay at home stuff and I, he lets me go on my travel. So it's very right. important to communicate, to not be scared. And I tell my clients that. I love this, the way you explain this, because it speaks to the fact that you know, we can transition and that's part of the goal of this open communication, right? I, I always say that also in my marriage, at the beginning of my marriage, my husband pretty much managed it all. I had little kids until one day we decided to become much more, you know, open and communicative about it. And then we started managing it together for a while. Kind of some things were still divvied up. Then it came a point where I managed most of it, pretty much all of it, as he was launching a new business and it was just, and I had pulled away from that business. And then we transitioned into this. We do it together, but there's these strengths that I have that he doesn't have and that he has that I don't have. And we balance each other out. But throughout the journey, what's been accomplished is, which sounds like also with you is this transparency where if God forbid one needed to fully take over. They could, they are capable of doing it because there's been an openness and a transparency, right? But we're still trying to capitalize it on our strengths and the, and the realities of life. You know, if you just had a newborn baby, you might not be up to the task or, you know, so it's, it's, it's beautiful to see. I love that you gave us that example so that women understand that it doesn't have to be all or nothing and it could, it could shift throughout your life. And it's almost inevitable that it should, because there are transitions in lives in life. Yeah, you know, also, besides the work that I do, and that the, the Jewish outreach and the teaching, 
I do um, HESED. I volunteer in the um, in the burial society, and mm-hmm. I help educate people on the importance of end of life planning. So this is all volunteer that I do this, and um, I help people in crisis situations. So through that, I've under I've come to understand, like you know, you want to have a good next life, right? The mm-hmm. afterlife. You want to have a good time in the next world. So make it work in this world, and so with your spouse, like you're saying, it's like, you have to think about, you have to think about the end. You have to think about having life insurance. You have to think about buying burial plots. You have to think about these things that are uncomfortable, but truth really it's, it's making things organized for your children and your descendants and such. And it's, it's just responsible. It's responsible to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It's so important. And for uh, those of us who are also, you know, dealing with our parents, it's important to open the conversations with our parents and make sure that their things are in order so that again, the time that is needed to heal is there for healing and not for, you know, dealing with unnecessary drama and, and stress. Right. Right. Um, and that's what I have. My clients are in drama and stress and I try to alleviate that for them. Mm, so, so beautiful. So beautiful. So tell us a little bit about any, cause it sounds like you've been so responsible, but we've all had like financial, like, ah, uh, setbacks or like, I can't believe I did this. Tell us what, what, what stands out that you're like, Oh my gosh, that was a big one. Okay. So I don't, I don't like to call them failures. I like to call them learning experiences. Okay. So, um, when we bought our first house, I was so scared, you know, like we got married, we buy this first house. I was like, so scared of this enormous mortgage, you know, like it seemed really enormous at the time. Um, but then after a few years, we, we decided to sell and move on. And I, and I, I think that the mistake we made was you should have kept it. Like we should have stretched and kept it, you know, <laughs> and rented it out because wow, now like 30 years later, wow. wow. <laughs> but you know, hindsight's 2020. We didn't do it. That's okay. That's all right. Right. And it could be that you needed the money to buy your next property, yeah. right? That's often what happens. I was having a conversation like that with somebody who had a house in Austin, Texas. Can you imagine? Like, I don't know, like 35 years ago. And <laughs> she's like, well, I needed the money to buy the next house. But really, had I kept that house, it wouldn't be worth so much right now. <laughs> you know, okay, you know, it, it it happens, it happens. And what about, um, you know, part of starting your own business and going out on your own and not having that steady paycheck and that, you know, sort of quote unquote security, I'm using air quotes, obviously nothing is secure, but um, that, that, that imaginary stability, let's say, and it pushes us also to get really um clear and comfortable with the ability to charge and to communicate our prices and that's something that people really struggle with was that how is that for you that transition into oh my gosh how do i package this how do i tell them how much it's going to be and really then i learned that it should be more tell us about that process because i think a lot of women really get stuck in that place yeah i think it's important to know your worth um to do a little bit of competitive research and see what the market can bear. Um, and, but also to be honest, like what, what your value is. So, you know, if you're just learning something, then let's say, let's say you're the average rate is, I don't know, $75 an hour, but you're just learning in that field. So you start out at $50 an hour, but let's say as you become more and more experienced, then you, you can get up to the $75 an hour, mm-hmm. but it, it's being honest and telling your clients that um, I'm just learning or now I've, now you're busier. And so you can't charge the less amount anymore. So mm-hmm. you, it, it's an organic process, but yes. it's to do your research to see yeah. what other people are, are charging and paying. Yes. I like that. I like the practical. Yes. It's important to have those comparisons and, and then allow, again, like you said, that organic process, allow yourself the freedom to change. Like you're not stuck to a price forever. Just like you're iterating on your services and who you're serving. You're also iterating on your prices that's part of business. Right, right. I also believe it's important, like the Torah approach to, to um, assets is to have a third in real estate, a third Mm -hmm. in business and a third in cash. And so like, it's not just the income that I make, but it's also, you know, the real estate and, and, and such. So it's important to look at that as well. And I also, I believe very much that Sadaka is a big part of your success in life. So 
if you know, to look at and, and keep a spreadsheet mm-hmm. on your on your Sadaka because if you give out, it's gonna come back to you. That's, yes. that's really I mean the Torah says that and I believe that and I've seen proof of it. So um yes. it's important to do that as well. Yes. And you didn't notice, but you mentioned that spreadsheet that I talk about all the time, right? It's not, this has to be something that we're mindful that we're organized with. It's not, you know, it doesn't happen, you know, haphazardously. Um, and it's funny that you mentioned this third thing from the Talmud, because my husband and I had just mentioned it yesterday, that Gemara that talks about a third in real estate, a third in business and a third in cash. Um, or a third in investments, but I think it implies your, your business or whatever. Um, and yes, I don't think I've ever explicitly talked about it on the show, but I love that you brought it to listeners attention because there is that paradigm and it's important when we're looking at our numbers to see, you know, is this, is this kind of like how my money is being sort of allocated, you know? Yeah. You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. Mm-hmm. That's dangerous. Yeah. Um, you, you know, even if you look at the Aisha's Heil prayer, it says, um, that the woman, she, she had, she looked at land, she looked, she made clothing, Your she business. gathered the crops. Right. Like, you know, so like you have to be multidimensional. You can't have everything in one place because God forbid somebody lost a job. And let's say you had all your money in, in the job and then, then you, you, you could be stuck. So you have to be mindful of that. Yeah, yeah, I I love that. Oh my gosh! Well, Robin, tell us where we can find you. Where can listeners connect with you and learn more about what you do and maybe get help from you? Sure. So, um, you could go to robinmyerson.org. It's very easy. You can even get a free download of my my new book, Miracles Mitos, <laughs> Mitos Miracles, and um, it's robinmyerson.org. And from there, you can, you know, connect with me by email. We can, I have class, a couple of classes that are coming up on there and I can help people with coaching too. Awesome. 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 And by the way, another book, you're amazing. You're working, you have your own clients, you're volunteering and you write books. What a powerhouse of a woman. And you're raising a family. Yeah, <laughs> Thank you so much, Robin, for being here. We'll be sure to put that on the show notes, robinmeyerson.org so people could connect with you. And thank you for being a listener and for just wonderful insights and wisdom. I love your show. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks to Solomon and Robin for stopping by and sharing with us. And of course, for leaving a review and being supporters and listeners of this show. This was a real treat. And to my audience, thank you. Thank you for being here. I hope I see you all live next week for my free five-day retreat. I'm ready. Discover the Jewish money secrets that will make you richer. Register at yaeltrush.com forward slash retreat. And if you think you have a story of financial triumph, send me an email. I really look forward to hearing about it and having you tell us that story on the show. My email is Yael at JewishLatinPrincess.com. Have an amazing, amazing week, everyone. Mm-hmm.